You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, the podcast that has got us placed safely secured for the quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League. A bit of a bonus podcast for you coming this week. Decided not to include it with the Leicester game of the weekend. Going to do it as a one-off episode. And to join me for this all special one-off episode, I've got Daniel Chards at Son of Chelsea. Daniel, it's it's the day after, the night before. How are you doing, my man? It's a weird feeling, isn't it, this season to... Well, to be speaking to you firstly feeling positive i think the last podcast i came on that we'd actually won was maybe the wolves game which was basically uh, diego costa loving <laughs> which was basically just diego chat and to be honest i i'd sort of resigned myself to believe that that was going to be the best moment of this season but we finally have something to rival it uh so yeah it's been a it's been a lovely day just sort of diving in and indulging on all of the positive reaction to it because that has been sorely lacking from from sort of my experience and I'm sure like everyone else watching Chelsea this season. So it's it's a it's a big result and hopefully it's the start of some positive things to come. Yeah, I think this is probably the first match in a very long time. I've basically just indulged every little bit of content I can find on this, highlights, interviews, etc. Because you just want to get as much of it as possible. As I always do guess I get themselves to give them a plug. Uh, Daniel, people should know you by now, but just tell people where they can find you and all your work. At Son of Chelsea on Twitter, I always say it's kind of the hub of my work and for some of my sort of reactions to Chelsea stuff. But you can find uh, my show, Son of Chelsea, on YouTube, uh, regular Chelsea content, but you can also get my content as a podcast as well. So just uh, search Son of Chelsea on your podcast provider and you'll find it there as well. Links for Daniel's content will be in the description below. Make sure you check him out. Very good, good friend of the podcast. All right, Daniel, let's just get into it. Borussia Dortmund, I'll just get your thoughts because being in that stadium last night was actually just a really special experience. I think it's probably the best European night at Stamford Bridge, probably since PSG in 2014. That's probably just how long ago 
is obviously in that time there's been the knockout ties uh, en route to winning the Champions League. But obviously fans were not there and it was just a very different feel to it. But just being in that stadium last night, I did feel there was just such a collective sense of push, of will, of communal love and desire. It just felt something that we've basically not seen at Stamford Bridge for, for a long time and arguably potentially one of the, I don't know, potentially best atmospheres, best mm. just experiences at Chelsea probably post-pandemic, potentially. I think, obviously, we had Juventus last year, but I think this comfortably trumps that. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't personally at the the Juve game, and, and to hear that it triumphs that, you know, sort of says a lot. And, you know, I sort of got the feeling walking up to the ground, you know, me and my dad were kind of discussing how it did feel a little bit different. You know, the fact that you saw the, the clips of fans... Uh, arriving outside the ground and trying to create an atmosphere and 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 trying to get ready for the game and just to walk up to the ground felt a little bit different. The, the tone and kind of the the feeling in the air was a little bit different. And I think it's what's lovely about the game and the experience was that in the context of this season, it, it is quite rare because I, I feel like over the past year, and I'm not just talking about since Graham Potter came in, I feel that Stanford Bridge and the players. It sounds really hyperbolic, but it's kind of at times felt like a combative relationship between the supporters and the players. It hasn't felt like a unified vision. And and I feel that that was something that really just hit home last night, that there is that there. And it, it turned so positively towards the players. And as you said, I think, you know, the goodwill and the sense that people wanted to drag this team over the line Um because they know how special this competition is in the club's history and, and what this competition can do to salvage seasons. So with all of the stuff that's been going on, with all the frustrations that I'm sure many of those inside Stamford Bridge probably have and have had about this season and the head coach and the players, to put that all to one side and get behind the team, I think says a lot about the Chelsea support and, that, and that's what equally made it such a, a memorable night that I don't think people should or will be forgetting for a very long time. No, indeed, indeed. And just on a personal note, it was lovely to see some familiar faces that I've not seen for a while there. I was with Jay Tomlins, friend of the podcast, been on before. So if anyone, if you don't already know Nishal, he's doing excellent work, working out in Spain for Espanol. Uh, he was back for this game. Lovely to catch up with him. Just lovely to see see, see mates, etc. Just a really lovely day. And I think that sort of added to my general feeling. But Daniel said also, a lot of people, there was it actually like, a genuine, despite what had gone on at Chelsea this season, a lot of people there was a genuine sense of belief we were going to do it. A lot there was that there was that confidence just beforehand, and obviously maybe part of that is also due to what we saw in the first leg, and that these players and in general in the Graham Potter era, the best games have come in the Champions League. But it just there was just almost an inevitability about it, which just seems bizarre given that there should not have been necessarily that confidence given that what we've seen at Chelsea. But I guess we just go back to it's the Champions League. And this is a competition that Chelsea just find a way, find a way of getting things done in. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was the fact, as you said, you know, logically you go back to the way tactically the two teams matched up in the first leg. And I did genuinely feel, it's not even an eyesight, I was saying to just some people before the game that I felt if the same game plays out, I think Chelsea win. Because I just thought on the law of averages, if Chelsea get the same quality opportunities again, I, I can't see them missing them all. Uh, as good as we are at missing chances, I, I just couldn't see it happening again. Um, it wasn't exactly the, the same game, but 
the context of who Borussia Dortmund are and the form they're in, you know, speaks to how impressive this result actually is and how big the performance needed to be because, you know, Borussia Dortmund are currently tied level points with Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga in March. Anyone who knows anything about the Bundesliga knows how impressive of a feat that is just to be level on points with Bayern at this point in the season. Uh, but they're on an 11 game winning streak before this game. So this is a team who've clearly been through some highs and lows and, and know how to get through difficult periods in games. But the fact that Chelsea still overcame that, I think it is a real big sign for Potter and, and something that we haven't seen in recent weeks. You know, Chelsea started the game well with the aided by the intensity of the crowd before kickoff. But then I think Dortmund maybe started to cool things down a bit. They gained possession. But the fact Chelsea came again and before half time, eventually got that opener, which, you know, made all the difference to the game. And that really integral, crucial 10 minute period before half time and after half time that effectively um, got Chelsea through, you know, I, I think that that's, you've got to give credit to the players. You've got to give credit to the coach, to, to the approach of the game. And I, the logic for me, you know, because as I said, if you just, if you take the the overall performances and the form of Chelsea in a wider context, it, it would have been hard to see that performance coming last night based on just hope. The only thing I could say is that if you look at tactically Chelsea and Graham Potter just seem to get the better of Dortmund twice. Um, but as we know in football, that doesn't always mean you get the right result, but they did last night. Yeah, and with that comeback, Chelsea have now progressed from five UEFA Champions League knockout state ties after losing the first leg. They joined most of any team in the competition's history. Barcelona, Juventus and Real Madrid also have five, which I guess just attests to sort of the character. And, you know, we talk about this character. There does seem to be sort of still something like lingering from from previous years and just a sense of belief that, you know, we can overturn a deficit. Um, at 25 years and 255 days old, Chelsea starting on to face Dortmund was their second youngest in the UEFA Champions League knocker game after their round of 16 second leg versus Bayern Munich in 2019-20. And obviously that Bayern game context, we were freedom down from the first leg. I'm pretty sure Willian and Pedro were both out injured as well. So that would have, you know, meant we had to play play other players. But Danny, this was, you know, on that point, this is a young squad. And it's while there are still players who remain from, from that side but won the Champions League in 2021, you've got people like Enzo, you've got people like Wesley Fofana, etc. And we'll, and we'll kind of get onto these players a bit later. But just on that note, I guess that also just goes to show actually quite how impressive that feat as well. That was not an experienced Chelsea side, an experienced Chelsea, a Chelsea side, but, you know, even lost some of his leads that had early in the competition, losing, you know, Jorginho in the January. But Chelsea, with this, with this side and in these, you know, in not ideal conditions going into this game, you know, overcame it. And I think that also probably says a lot to to, to the, the character of this group and also is something for them, you know, to build on because for a lot of them, that's their first that's their first taste of a knockout victory at this stage of competition. Yeah, it's obviously been really disrupted this season, particularly when you bring in that number of players in January and the turnover in players and the turnover of just individuals at the club behind the scenes as well. It's been a really challenging year. It feels quite ironic that this victory comes almost at the 12 month mark of the sanctions, you know, which sort of changed the club forever, just as, you know, Roman deciding to sell the club. So, it, it it's big for them to get, especially those younger players, to get, you know, that connection with supporters, to be involved with those big moments that those younger players in the current squad did get in 2021. And you can track it back to, say, Jose in 0405, some of the big wins that that team got early on to really boost that mentality. And Chelsea 
their young players and Graham Potter now have something to lean back on. And we as fans have something to lean back on now to sort of go, there's the evidence of a big performance against a, a tough opponent. We haven't had that at all this season. You know, when was the last time Chelsea beat an opponent that you really felt was, was a big opponent? Um, you have to go back some way, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, in the, in the Premier League, we haven't got any of those big wins so far this season. Uh, last year in the Champions League, the FA Cup final didn't go our way. We lost to Real Madrid in the, the quarterfinal. So all rounds, to, these nights are, are huge. And as I say, Dortmund are not a Real Madrid. They're not a Man City. But given the context of everything in terms of their form, I really do hope that the players, those young players, as you mentioned, who we hope are going to form the basis of, of a spine of, of, of this squad moving forward, can really harness what it was last night that inspired them to, to get over the line and, and hopefully see that see that grow and become a little bit more consistent in the months ahead. Yeah, and obviously with that victory last night, Chelsea made the quarterfinals of a Champions League for the third season row for the first time following 2006, 7, 2007, 8, 2008, 9. And Daniel, I remember, I think we talked about it, you know, when we saw the Bam 2, that the significance of just getting past Atletico last year was ending a seven-year hoodoo of getting, you know, not being able to get past a round of 16. We've now done that three seasons running and look, who knows if Chelsea will be playing in the Champions League next season. But it does seem, even if there's like a temporary break from Champions League football to come at some stage, it does sort of feel that Chelsea are pushing themselves slowly back to that elite table of European of European football where while Chelsea did quite well domestically during, you know, years gone by, there was still a sense of it, like, just we were missing something in Europe. It does feel that Chelsea are now starting to get back to back to that sort of period they were, where they were they were able to compete, you know, domestically and Europe. Obviously, we've now got to solve a domestic issue, but the, the, the issue with Europe seems to be something that is, you know, slowly, slowly going away. Yeah, the profile of, of getting to the last day, I, I do think once you get to the last day, you are kind of in luck of the draw territory um, in terms of, uh, as we saw last year, you get Real Madrid. You can't really complain if you get a tough draw from this point. It kind of went a little bit in our favour in 2021 and the fact that we got Porto in the last date, maybe that will work out the same way this time. But I, I just think in terms of status, in terms of just having a, a group of players and having a club that wins big Champions League ties, I think it says a lot. It shows that you can compete at this level. That was my big problem, as, as you've just mentioned, that seven-year hiatus and of course it wasn't just seven consecutive years where we kept on getting to the last 16 and being knocked out a few of those years were in either in the Europa League uh like in the 1819 uh, season under Sarri or the year we didn't have any European football under Antonio Conte but for a club of Chelsea size and stature and what Chelsea want to pr project itself to be in in European football you have to be winning these games you have to be getting to the the last stages of this competition on a regular basis because I think that it projects a club that is consistently competitive and it probably projects, you know, in terms of that famous and, and sort of tired word standards that gets banned about so often. I think that that's what it means. It means that the club is consistently, you know, getting to serious stages. We we know in cup competitions how chaotic it can be and how, you know, you can't just bank on getting a good, draw and and you know Chelsea could very easily be knocked out in the next round because we might face Real Madrid who I think look incredible once again but as as you know I think I said to you when I was on the preview show for this season with Adam um way back in July or August I said that I, I think the quarter final kind of has to be mandatory when Chelsea are in this competition now because it, I think it just gives you that status of being that team that can go the distance and 
as I say, once you're in the quarterfinal, uh, you know, you, you it's not that you look towards the final, but you you start to think that there could be a, a chance for something here, and that that makes it exciting. Yeah, and I guess what's also nice is that it's a quarterfinal under a different manager, and with a sense of. And which is where I want to get on to. Graham Potter became just the second English manager to win five UEFA Champions League games in a single season after Bobby Robson of Newcastle in 2002 and 2003. And look, Daniel, I think anyone, any list side, whatever people bear views on Graham Potter, I think the, they can only, obviously Chelsea won, so they obviously have, they can only be happy for Graham Potter after last night. That felt, obviously, the biggest night of Graham Potter's Chelsea career so far, the biggest win of his Chelsea career so far. And I guess, as well as obviously, now, obviously, I do not know, know the man. I do not know sort of how he thinks, how he operates. But that should win, should hopefully, I guess, give him some reassurance that he does belong. He is capable of managing at this level. He's not, you know, got him, like, should not feel like he's got imposter syndrome, does not feel out of place. It should maybe ease some doubts as well, because that was a night for him and a chance, you know, we and we know the significance of what wins like this can do for, for trying to build a bond and, and unify fans, because we saw... Even, you know, prior to scenes before, he was getting very animated on the touchline. And I know you and I have talked about this many times about the, the, oh, we're not fussed our manager. You know, we don't need the sound bites. We do not need this passion, all this, like, you know, if it's not naturally that person's character. But we, but a lot of people would have seen what they would have wanted to see from Graham Potter last night. But it did also feel in the moment just very natural and just a man mm. who just kind of just felt like, yes, vind- like, vindication, I don't know, just a sense of, of worth of achievement, just just your thoughts. Because I feel like before we get onto the players, Graham Potter has got to got to get some love because it's been a brutal few weeks for him. Obviously, we know the well documented death threats to him and his family, and this just has been a, a big week in Graham Potter's Chelsea career. Obviously, there were talks that these two games, you know, were sort of almost make or break for him. Um, just thoughts, things because I said you've just got to be happy for Graham Potter right now. Yeah, he's. If he gets through this as Chelsea head coach, if in a year's time he's still Chelsea head coach and Chelsea are moving in a positive direction, I just think the power that he would have in that position, you know, he has faced probably a barrage of criticism and negativity and doubt that few in in that seat have have, have faced, you know, and, and we're talking about a hot seat that has consistently seen managers lose their job. Um, you know, so it's not like previous head coaches haven't faced really, really difficult moments, but the fact that he's got through all, all of that and, you know, I'm not, you know, a paid up member of Potter's PR team. Um, if he, he will one day leave Chelsea, it could be this season. It could be next season. There'll be another head coach and I'll support that head coach. You know, that's the the way of being a supporter. But I, I you know, I think there has been a lot that I've, latched onto with Potter just in a sense that he seems like a really principled guy. He seems like someone who has clearly worked very hard to get where he is. And I like the fact that he doesn't back down from his principles. He's not going to be a showman just uncharacteristically because people want him to be. He's not going to throw a tantrum in a press conference because Twitter wants him to do it. He, as as you said, there was a lot about last night that just felt very natural to him. He, there was nothing about it that felt performative. Like he wasn't, maybe he was told by someone, maybe someone around the media Chelsea team have, have advised him that he should be more passionate on the sidelines. But it, it didn't come across to me that, you know, the way he sort of punched his fist in the air and sort of celebrated towards the Matthew Harden lower. It didn't feel like I'm doing this for the camera it felt like a, a man who had achieved something, you know, and, and, and got through a very difficult, difficult moment. And, 
you know, I think for him as, as a head coach, you know, for him, it's, it's about, you know, proving that he can hang at this level. It was always from the moment he got appointed as Chelsea head coach, it was always going to be the biggest question at his door. It was not, you know, it's not rocket science when he got that job, what people would criticize first if results turned against him. Well, there were two factors. It was his personality uh, or some could accuse it, the lack of it in, in, in public and the lack of silverware. That was just so abundantly clear from the moment he took this job. And that was always going to be the biggest challenge for Graham Potter. I think even more than the tactical one. I know people have had very you know serious criticisms of his tactical approach to Chelsea, but I also think it's a cultural one. It's about you know instilling himself in this role and understanding that he is at a very different level to what he had before. But being able to take what he did before and prove that he can do it at a higher level, you know, it's in itself what Todd Bowley has has embarked on with Potter is a is a, an experiment. You know, something that there aren't many in English football. There is in sort of like you could look at German football, Spanish football, Italian football. There are probably examples of a coach going from say a eighth, ninth place team to the, the top, and you could probably use examples. But in English football, it is quite rare um, that that Chelsea and clubs of it of that stature would would pick. Uh, the Brighton head coach, you know, that's just a rarity, but you know, I'm just, I'm really happy for him. And, and, you know, I, I said this in one of my recent shows that you can still think that Potter's not the right man, uh, but I don't think it undermines your argument to just praise him for last night. You know, I, I don't think that's you, you undermine your, your position. If you, if you just go, yeah, he got it right against Borussia Dortmund. It's no one should make a harsh judgment on a head coach or a player after 90 minutes of football. That's just illogical. Um, but hopefully that 90 minutes of football could change the long-term view of Graham Potter and can change the way Chelsea look as a team because the one thing he has to rectify, which has been a big criticism labelled to him and I think has been a fair criticism, is the lack of energy in this team, the lack of fluidity, the lack of just joy watching Chelsea. He brought that back and his players brought that to Chelsea supporters in a in a massive way last night at, at Stamford Bridge against Dortmund. It's about doing that on a more consistent basis, um, which in itself is, is a massive challenge for him. But for him, very happy and happy that he did it his way, you know, and, and hopefully he can keep doing it his way. And that means that Chelsea can be successful as well. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, we do not know what the future will look like for Graham Potter, but he gave us fans a night that we won't forget in a hurry, a night that maybe if we're not in Champions League football next season, a night to, to look back on it and go, yeah, okay, fuel the, fuel the fire inside us more. We want more nights like this because as I said, as fans, as fans ourselves, we've been starved of a, a European night of, like that of a bridge for, for, for a variety of reasons, as already mentioned. And again, Graham Potter has, whatever, however time is end, he has one moment now. He has his first sort of moment as Chelsea manager where you go, well, whatever you think, there was that one night be Dortmund which will, you know, can be looked on fondly as well. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that's, that's really nice. Daniel, one of his big decisions was starting Mark Cucurella at left centre-back. Mark Cucurella had been left out of scores previously. A player who'd been booed by by, by his own fans. Um, and he, 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 he came out trumps last night. A man of the match. He was, I think he was given the official UEFA Man of the Match award. A player who's had a difficult season, as it's been documented well, he struggles, you know, off the pitch as well. Again, just a player who you just... Again, you just feel you just feel so happy for because again, this is his first, you know, big, big moment in a Chelsea shirt as well, and you're just thinking, hopefully, this is something he can build on. But just, I guess, a word for for Marco Cucurella before we get on to the others because he was he was superb last night. Yeah, I think maybe you you look at it and it's easy in hindsight to to sort of go, it's great coaching because it turns out well. Uh, it was a risky move from Grandpa. I think we all kind of looked at it, no matter what you think about Kukurea and, and if you're more sympathetic to him, I think we all maybe had raised eyebrows when we saw him in that back three because we knew if it went wrong, what it could mean for, for Mark Kukurea as a player, you know, for his confidence and also for Grandpa to, you know, backing a player that has had some very difficult weeks and, and months at Chelsea. What I would say about Mark Kukurea, there was a reason why Pep Guardiola wanted to sign him at Man City. Um, and I think that unfortunately we see this a lot at Chelsea because we have some bad signings is that I think there's a lot of revisionism that takes place over a player and actually they were never that good to begin with and Chelsea should have never bought them. There are some examples like that, but I think that Marco Correa, you know, I don't think it was ludicrous to think that he can make a jump up. And, you know, there was a reason why Manchester City and, and specifically apparently Guardiola wanted to to get him in the summer. Um, and if you remember, he started his Chelsea career quite brightly. Um, he had some decent performances. But as we know, football is a complex game and there are many variables to why a player, when they make a transfer to a new club, will work out or not work out. And I think that he struggled maybe with a bit of disruption personally too. And I think that so often we forget that these are players, not robots. They're not. It's not like playing on FIFA where they're just programmed with a certain rating and they can, you know, just go on run after run of, of great form. There is going to be ups and downs and there is going to be adaptation. But for him, I, I felt just generally, and this was kind of a general tone of the night, but I think he epitomized it from the left side of a back three, was just very sharp in his passing, very effective. There was little doubt in Kukurea's game. I think that I really liked the fact that he would pick up the ball and if he had to hit it long, he would hit it long. There was no kind of very few times, and this was a problem that we have seen in Kukurea's game, whether he's playing as a left wing back, left back or left centre back, is I think it's a sign of a player lacking confidence and showing fear. It's just, you know, being hesitant on the ball. There was a lack of hesitancy about a lot of Chelsea players, which made us a, a very sharp and effective team against Dortmund to get the job done. Uh, but I think it's it's also a sign of good coaching, right? To to bring in that player, to make that judgment call. You're paid to make those big judgment calls and, and Potter knows this player very well. And then to get the vindication that that player turns up and, and has a big performance is is massive for both the player, his confidence and 
you know, I just, I hate the fact that there are people booing Marco Correa. Uh, I'm not saying that you you have to be happy, happy, nicey, nicey with all these players and never have any criticisms of them. But I just, I, I never think that booing your own player leads to anything positive. And this was not a guy who was openly disrespecting the fans or goading the fans. He was just a player in bad form, as with a lot of players. And uh, I really hope for him, as with Graham Porter, it's a turning point. So, yeah, big night for him. It slightly reminds me a little bit of like the Jorginho Sarri thing, right? Where I think, you know, at the end of that season, Jorginho had some really big performances. And I think that Sarri was justified in the end by sticking with Jorginho. I hope for Kukurea's sake, I mean, it's a little bit different in the sense that, you know, Chelsea have a lot of options in that area. And Ben Shirwell, who I, I don't know if we'll come on to, had an absolutely outstanding performance. Um, and it's going to be difficult to displace him. But for Kukurea, yeah, very, very happy for the bloke because he's had a difficult year and hopefully he can have a much better second season as a Chelsea player. Yeah, again, I'll just kind of briefly sort of round up uh, the rest of the back three. Kaldu Koulibaly in the centre of defence, won all, all of his ground duels, four out of four, all of his tackles, three out of three, while winning four aerial duels and making six appearances. Danny, this was obviously in the absence of Thiago Silva. Koulibaly is a player, certainly, who who is maybe starting to to show show some signs, and also potentially the Champions League showing some signs. Then I guess a quick word, Wesley Fofana as well, right centre-back, again, another really strong performance from him. Yeah, I do wonder if, you know, the sort of change in formation with Koulibaly, and to be fair, Koulibaly played in a back four with Thiago Silva in the first leg and looked pretty decent, so it's not... Like he he's he's had no good performances in that formation for Chelsea, but I do just wonder if with the Premier League and what's been asked of him this season and and kind of a slower pace that he's been so used to in Serie A that maybe the centre of a back three is kind of the best place for him in Premier League football. Uh, maybe a little bit different in European football, but he's not being dragged into areas that he doesn't feel comfortable in, like we have seen this season. Uh, I one game that really stands out to me is is not in a forest away for some reason where he was constantly being dragged into really wide areas and being exposed. And, you know, again, it's, it's a sign of good coaching where you've got a problem. Tiago Silva, your best player is, is out. So you have to find a solution to it. And you want to lean on Koulibaly's experience because this has, again, without the revisionism has been one of the strongest defenders in European football. A lot of people have felt that for a long time. So again, there is something to, to extract from that player. And I, I think in the in the centre of a back three, at least till Thiago Silva is, is ready to come back, that looks like a solid option. So, you know, again, happy for him. He has to show it more consistently. But to be fair, since he's come back into the team, I, I don't think he's looked that bad. I think he's looked assured, which is what you wanted when we signed Koulibaly. You wanted an experienced head that, that could lead some of these younger defenders. Yeah, and then I guess just on Fafana, this is, you know, what he what he signed up for. And again, just adds to his recent string of impressive performances. And, and again, just, you know, kind of showing, you know, a real, what, what an exciting option we've got on that, on that right-hand side, potentially. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I just, I think that, I think that for the long term, I, I am very, when you're asking about like single defenders, I think for like, I'm very curious to see how the next five to six to seven, eight months looks with Chelsea's defence. And you've got Wesley Favana, you've got Benoit Badiashile, who obviously is not involved in the Champions League, but also Trevor Chalabar, I mean, has kind of gone on the missing list once again for some reason. Um, and then you've got Levi Colwell to come back potentially as well. So I, I think on the right side of defence, absolutely, I'm I'm looking more at, at Fafana really nailing that place down. 
Uh, but all around, I'm, I'm very excited to see what's going to happen because actually the, it's a strange thing. I mean, I'm sure you've touched on it in the podcast before. The strange thing about Chelsea season is we actually haven't been horrendous defensively. Our numbers in the Premier League are not that far away from some of the best teams in the league, which kind of reflects how bad we've been in attack. But um, I, I think for Potter, if he's if he's going to move to this back three now, I think for at least the short term, you have got some obvious names there that hopefully you can lean on that have had some very good performances. And Fafana, Badiashile, uh, Kulabali, and now Kukurea can maybe form that for the next few weeks. Yeah, uh, I do. I will get on to the wingbacks and we will gradually move up the pitch. But Daniel Kepper, only keeper currently with an 80% save percentage in both the Champions League and the Premier League. And ultimately, that was probably potentially one of the biggest nights in his Chelsea career. He had to sit on during that Champions League run and watch Edouard Mendy, you know, play such a key pivotal role. He's never really had, you know, aside from, I've guessed, his biggest moment in Europe for us is that Europa League semi-final against Eintracht Frankfurt. This is obviously a step up. And again, just solid, reliable, great save from the Royce through kick, made some important saves in that second half. And again, I just chose, like, in credit to the man, incredible resilience. So this, this, uh, this sort of almost redemption arc, you know, this upwards sort of career trajectory that we're seeing from Kepa, which probably none of us really thought you know and even you know when the season started we were you know kind of thinking oh is it you know what what's best for Kepa type thing is he really best suited as number two but he's now forced his way back in and he's showing that you know he belongs belongs in that spot yeah it's it's unfortunately I think for Kepa is that in recent weeks because results haven't been going well you don't see that player get the praise that maybe they deserve you know, and the fact that Kepper is at times been keeping clean sheets in nil nils where most of the criticism has been aimed at the attack. He's he's been a steady player, which for so long you just couldn't say he was. And and I think that, you know, as you say, I think it's just a sign of someone, you know, being resilient and not writing players off so instantly. Now, I still maybe get a sense there's going to be a long-term conversation over if Chelsea are going to buy a keeper. I mean, that was sort of hinted at at the start of the year. But you look again, you just look at the numbers and I think that there's a lot of people who, rightly, because we did have a lot of evidence of Kepa and still there are there are things with his game that make you uncomfortable. He's he's never going to be the most physically imposing keeper you're ever going to have. Edouard Mendy's always going to better him at that. A lot of keepers are going to better him at that. And maybe at times uh, it's been criticized. I'm not a goalkeeping expert. People have criticized, you know, his sort of footwork and the way he gets down to shots sometimes a little bit too late. But there quite clearly is a player that's improved their game and has worked it and has stuck at it in, in through some very, very challenging periods. And again, I think just for him, you when you leave as a player in, in this club, you want to have good memories and you want to be able as a fan to look back and say that that player has a good legacy at the club. And the fact that Kepa... Is, is front and centre at the moment, hopefully means that he has a good opportunity to to do that, you know, uh, because as you mentioned in the Champions League winning run, he was just sat on the bench and, you know, he, he wasn't really able to to gain a lot of the credit for that, but speaks to the character and, and he also was wearing the captain's armband at the end, which is something that, again, not many people would have thought that he could have. And I, I saw some jokes around, oh, you know, isn't it bad that we've had Kovacic and Kepa with the armband on, but... You know, Chelsea got through last night and, and that was thanks to Kepa making a big save in a big moment. And um, you just got to give the guy credit because we're, get, we're keeping clean sheets at the moment. Yeah, all right, let's go on to the wingbacks. Rhys James and Ben Chilwell, a rare occurrence seeing them both on a football pitch, but an absolute delight. Daniel, Rhys James, I think was probably just, you know, more, actually was probably the lesser attacking threat 
on the night, but still very solid lockdown. A Ben Chilwell, these are now two really impressive performances in a row. Obviously, coming back from injury, questions, he you know, been some average performances and, and some slightly poor ones. But these last two games, he just seems to sort of really be getting back into it. Obviously, the cross sort of, the, you know, the leads to, to the Sterling goal. And then obviously, you know, winning the winning the penalty as well. Um, just two big moments. And again, for some, you know, someone like Chile, who, who's had his fair share of struggles, again, just, you know, really nice for him to sort of be front and centre of like a bit, a big night at Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, if I'm Chelsea head coach, one of the things that I'm really focusing on is if you've got Reese James and Ben Chilwell fit, you've got to try and focus as much of your attacks with them. If you're using them as wing backs, it's just obvious. And Ben Chilwell, since he arrived at the club, he's just got this knack and anticipation to make really dangerous runs behind the defence. And it gives you an outlet to get the ball forward, which is something that we've struggled to do, you know, to take out say an opposing midfield, you know, that that sort of very slow, tepid passing game that I know frustrates a lot of people when you've got Chilwell making those diagonal runs, you can get the ball forward, you can stretch the pitch. I mean, that was the way we built up to the penalty in the second half. You know, you, you have that outlet out there that you can hit towards. And, you know, Ch- Ch- Chilwell and James, you know, they operated in different ways yesterday um, in a sense that I think James was was a lot more about either you know, trying to get the ball into the box with, with his great crossing or just being more of a physical presence and trying to deal with the the wide threats down there and offering passing options and kind of is more so trying to create on the right, finish on the left. Um, but Chilwell, yeah, just wonderful, wonderful player. He, he really is. And, and the, we just hope and pray both of those players can stay fit. Um, they don't have to play every single game. Hopefully there are other options that Potter can lean on. I mean, there isn't a lot of obvious options at the moment um, until, say, Malo Gusto comes in in the summer, uh, which will give, particularly on the right side, a, hopefully a competent backup to to Reese James. But uh, absolutely game changing, it really is. And, and you know, you saw you've seen it over the last two games, and particularly through Chilwell, how big of a threat he is, and how difficult he is to defend against, you know, when he's making those runs, because he's a very intelligent player, it's it's very hard. And when you've got players like Enzo Fernandez, who can pick up the, those passes, when Kaladu Koulibaly can pick up those passes as well, it, it becomes an avenue that Chelsea hopefully can can gain more from in the coming weeks. Yeah, yeah, indeed, right. I I, I said I wouldn't try and talk about all players, but they're all kind of so good and all they are. I think we're just going to end up... Enzo Fernandez and sort of was partnered with Mateo Kovic in, in midfield. He's just such a fun player to watch. He's he he's wild. I think you know. Thankfully, I think Greg Potter actually subbed him at a good time because I think he was he was on the yellow card and he was still diving in. I think he was maybe getting slightly carried away by the moment. But in general, like a really you know a really solid performance from him. No player one possession more times on that pitch than Enzo Fernandez. And you know you think N'Golo Kante is to to coming back for for the next stage. Well. Just showing that in that in that midfield, in that engine, Chelsea still have got options. When obviously, you know, you've got Daniel Sakurai coming off the bench to to shore things up. In general, that midfield area, Mateo Kovacic, you know, coming back some two couple of, you know, solid performances on the bounce now, uh, wearing the captain's armband as well. And then just Enzo in particular, you know, the midfield exciting and I guess looks better with that free behind them offering that protection. Yeah, it does. I mean, Enzo Fernandez and you know, Potter tried to start him as a six. Uh, maybe that just isn't the best role for him because you want him getting into areas where he can maybe affect things in the final third a little bit more. Maybe in that double six role, he can do it a little bit more. I'm I'm very excited to see him. And if Kante's at his best and you think what that, that pair could do just 
visually what they could do on the pitch. It, it could be very, very exciting for Chelsea and impactful. Uh, but, you know, we've invested a lot into into Enzo Fernandez, and, you know, for him to be involved in that night and to have such an effective performance, ironically, against Jude Bellingham, uh, is exciting. And I, I think Kovacic has been steady. You know, I think he's had a, a challenging season, you know, suffering from injury. I don't think he's reached the levels of performance he did, did under Thomas Tuchel, but uh, offered, you know, a competent and, and exactly what you would wanted from him on that night, you know, in terms of work rate, in terms of getting out of a press at certain times and progressing the ball when he could. And for, for Enzo Fernandez, as you said, I mean, he is an exciting player to watch. And, and the exciting thing is there's so much more to come, I think, from him and the potential, I think, is there to unlock other parts of his game. That, that does excite me in the upcoming years with him at Chelsea. Yeah, we'll say on cover, what was really nice to see was he was one of those players, after we got the first goal along, I think, with Ben Chua, hyping the crowd up and at full time as well, Riven the crowd, I'm missing Mateo Kovacic, someone who maybe we, obviously does show his passion on pitch sometimes, but maybe we kind of maybe think of maybe slightly more a more introverted or sort of maybe more passive mm. passive character outside. Obviously, there's been no talks about a new contract and maybe there's the suggestion that this is his last season. Maybe is there still the same passion, desire, you know, to do well at Chelsea is his mind sort of elsewhere. But even though it just seemed like last night, he was just fully, fully up for him. That was really nice to see. Daniel Raheem Sterling gets that first goal. He makes a meal of it, but he lashes home at the second time of asking. Stamford Bridge erupts. I I, I I mean, I thought it was good when I when I watched it. And then I watched the highlights back and I was like, wow, that was a loud roar. Uh, since his debut in the competition in 2014, Reem Sterling, 44, has been involved in more Champions League goals than any other Englishman. 27 goals, 17 assists. While only Wayne Rooney has netted more in the competition. Raheem Sterling, this is a player. He was signed for nights like this at Chelsea. He'd obviously, you know, had as came with big pedigree. Chelsea... You know, had obviously had goal issues with with goals in forward areas. Raheem Sterling has also had you know his struggles this season at Chelsea. But fair to say that that was Raheem Sterling's finest moment in the Chelsea shirt. And again, just nice to see him sort of build on uh, you know a couple of recent good performances as well. Yeah, I mean, this is why I advocated for Chelsea signing him in, in the first place because he's just a big game player. You know, he's done it throughout his entire career. He's done it for his nation, and he's done it for Manchester City. You know, he, he the numbers don't lie with Raheem Sterling. And and I know that he hasn't had a great season, but he's still put up some decent numbers. And when you actually look at his performances since he's returned from injury, he's been good. He's been effective. He's been creating chances. I mean, he could have created like two or three goals in that first half against Leeds. And I mean, he just, it felt like he wasn't wearing the right boots on uh, on that night and, and just nothing was working for him. But it was just the dedication. And it's, it's the classic Raheem Sterling anticipation inside the box being there and just absolutely lashing it into the top corner. As you said, I mean, I, I haven't seen the bridge rock like that for, for many years in terms of a, a reaction to a goal like that. And it was so important at, at that moment. And, you know, he is one of the senior figures within this dressing room. He really is at this point. Um, he may not be the most vocal player, but we've, we've heard players speak about how they look up to him, you know, particularly young English players, I'm sure look up to him because of, what he's achieved in his career. And, you know, that's the investment you get it is a guy who can step up and and score those big goals. But I think all round his game, yeah, it was a little bit shoddy in terms of, you know, he, he as I said, he, his touch was just not there. But to, to be inventive enough to not panic in that moment, you can almost call it a skill because someone, I'm not sure, I think Tom Coley maybe shared that he scored a goal for Man City against Southampton. It was very similar where he messed up the first 
shot and then sort of fought the defender and was able to finish it uh, in, in very similar fashion. And it was a brilliant ball in from Ben Chilwell, by the way. Perfect ball. He he really is good at that low cross into the box. And um, yeah, Sterling back in form, back in goals now. And, and that, that in itself is, is a big thing because I just felt that, you know, he could provide consistent goals for Chelsea and, and hopefully we will set up, see that for the rest of the season. Yeah, and he was obviously just a menace and a threat all night, caught offside narrowly a couple of times. Obviously, I think the more narrow one is, you know, setting up Conor Gallagher to, you know, for, for us to briefly think we're, we're 3-0 up in the title. So, yeah. Um... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daniel, well, we'll get on to him, but Joao Felix, firstly, was it was, again, I guess, one of those nights. There was some encouraging signs. I guess he was not mean to be very he's perhaps maybe the least impressive of those 11 that's you know set that set foot on that pitch but you know he had some really nice moments you know obviously a couple of you know good chances miss it was, I did quite notice how deep he was actually coming to get the ball as well and then trying to you know bring it spring the attacks himself um I guess also the, the timing of the sub was pretty good I know we're not really talking about subs but it did feel like as that time going on it did feel mm-hmm. like quite a good time to bring on Conor Gallagher for him just get those get those fresh legs yeah, I mean, Joao Felix is a technically competent, aesthetically pleasing player to watch. He's someone who is a connector, as you see. He is someone that you can fire the ball into those kind of crowded areas, and he does have the technique to take the ball down, control it, and and thread things together. I still don't think he's going to offer enough for me to justify maybe signing him for the fee that Atletico Madrid are going to require. And I, I still think that the loan itself was never kind of weighted in Chelsea's favour because, you know, if, if Chelsea resurrect Joao Felix financially, it's either brilliant for Atletico to sell him on or to get a player back that they could then bring back into their first team and, and help them. But for what he's offered, you know, it could have been better. It, it, he could have been a little bit more productive. Um, but I think it'd be naive and, and, and disingenuous to say that he hasn't had good performances or he hasn't been showing things that are really impactful. And I think he did enough on a night, you know, he created a, a couple of opportunities. I, I distinctly remember in the first half him laying a, a, a ball on for, I think it was laying a ball on for, for Ben Chirwell that he kind of hit Flash wide. Right, and there was yeah. a, yeah, there was a moment early on where he kind of danced between a few challenges and, and nearly chipped the goalkeeper. So technically you, you do feel when Joao Phillips gets the ball sort of inside the six yard around, you know, on the edge of the box that something could happen. And that, that is something that maybe he, he does offer characteristics that we haven't had since Eden Hazard. I think it's maybe just having that final touch. And and it, the unfortunate thing is, I, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time to do it at Chelsea compared to some of the other players that we're speaking about currently who are permanent players. 
And that dynamic is going to be, I think, fascinating over the next few months because, you know, will he keep, if, it, if it becomes clear that maybe he isn't going to stay at Chelsea, I wonder if Graham Potter may start to phase him out a little bit, you know, because why would you invest all that time when you could be investing minutes into, say, Mikhailo Mudrik and Nori Manawake, two players who will be here for the long term, we suspect. Uh, but yeah, Joao Felix, I, I still think there's more to come. And hopefully, he, I, the one thing I would say about Joao Felix, hopefully he can have a more complete, performance you know in, in terms of really going it does feel to me like he fades a bit in games you know he, he starts games very well but then once it gets to 50 60 minutes a bit like what Chelsea have been doing in recent games and a lot of this season he fades a bit I think the challenge for him is to keep that going can he keep that influence going to justify keeping him on the pitch when Graham Potter's looking at his bench and going actually what I need right now is a work rate player to to come on like Conor Gallagher to cause a bit of havoc to, to press um, and that would be my challenge to to draw Felix in the next few weeks to to kind of show a more complete performance. Yeah, no, agreed there. I would say that I think the current front three we are seeing is certainly though something Chelsea should should be sticking with. It is quite quite encouraging, quite a lot of signs of life. Daniel, the match winner, Kai Havertz, he is an enigma. But if there was one player who I was sure was going to show up in a big game yesterday, it was Kai Havertz. He is just made for these moments. You don't know, he frustrates you probably 90% of a Premier League season. But in these big moments, in these big games, you trust him. And he showed up and it's even, and it's not just him calmly slowing the penalty at the second attempt. His overall game, I thought was, I mean, that I think that was easily his best performance of the season. And one of his best performances in a Chelsea shirt, he was lively. He was involved so much in the build-up play. I mean, maybe gets the goal, but he actually plays a really crucial part in that first goal as well. You know, just the role he plays in that. A word on Kai Havertz, he's an enigma. I know he frustrates you a lot. I know he frustrates me a lot. I know he frustrates Chelsea fans a lot. But this is a player who, again, has just delivered Chelsea fans another really special moment. Yeah, it's very hard to kind of analyse Kai Havertz because he's, he's one of the weirdest Chelsea players I've ever seen in terms of trying to dissect how good he is because... I say, what do you want from a player? If you if you buy a player and they're scoring in Champions League finals, they score you these really big crucial goals over a season and maybe are not giving you a consistent output. Yes, the balancing act, right? You know, if you're if you have the player who's going to score you the the winning penalty in a knockout stage, if you're going to have a player who's going to score the winning penalty in a Club World Cup final, you know, it's it's you know, what do you want from a player? And, and you know, there are so many players who maybe could offer you more productivity, but then maybe don't show up and can't be impactful in those big games. So that's that's the balancing act with Kai Havertz and trying to dissect him in terms of the, the positive and negative and, and kind of persisting with him as a Chelsea player. But yeah, it, it's he does have, I refer, I'll reference Hazard again, because there was always a thing with Eden Hazard, is you kind of could tell within the first few minutes of a game whether he was going to be good or not and whether he was going to change the game. Uh, in the first few touches. I think Havertz is the t- same type of player. For my criticism of Havertz, I've never said he's not a technically good player. I think there's been... A, my frustration is it's quite clear there's a lot of talent within there. It's about trying to harness that talent and get it to work on a more consistent basis. And I don't always think the counter-argument of he isn't playing in his best role holds a lot of weight because, as we saw last night, he wasn't exactly playing as a number 10. Um, I wouldn't say he was playing as a number 9. I mean, he was quite a fluid front three as you'd probably say uh but he he was impacting the game in, in a lot of ways technically I thought he was amazing in the sense of the amount of times he had to control the ball under pressure and did 
there just seemed to be a flow and control and a, and a, he was playing the game at a different speed to a lot of his opponent, opponents on that pitch. And, and that's what made him special on the night. And he was, you know, making runs into that right channel where we know he can be really devastating. Maybe the big thing for Graham Potter and for Chelsea, if you are going to persist with Kai Havertz, is maybe getting that number nine who he can play off a lot better, where he doesn't have the the weight of expectation on him to to be the number nine all the time. You know, I thought that was a brief period shortly after he arrived when Tammy Abraham was here. You, you know, I felt those two worked quite well together for a brief period when Lampard played those two. Um, he's trying to find someone because unfortunately Lukaku do, did like to, you know, very naturally like to go into areas that Kai Havertz did. And then you had Hakim Ziyech on that side who likes to go into areas that, that Kai Havertz did. That is going to be the challenge, I think, to keep Kai Havertz is, and keep persisting with him is is maybe finding a player that can alleviate some of that goal-scoring pressure and frustration that I have when you are playing him and he isn't going to be productive. But then also understand and appreciate that he does give you these big performances in a season. So that balancing act is, I think, very difficult. But just on the the, the basis of, of that performance, yeah, it was wonderful. Technically, tactically, character-wise, the bravery to step up again and take the same penalty takes a lot of courage and conviction. And um, I, I just hope for, for Havertz's sake that we can just see a little bit more and more consistently. But then, you know, if he saves up, if he doesn't score again for a few weeks in the Premier League, but then saves up another big performance in the quarterfinal that gets us through, you know, are we going to be complaining? And I think maybe that's something I need to uh, to think about, you know, when I'm criticising Kai Havertz on Saturday against Leicester if he doesn't have a good display. Yeah, I mean, Kai Havertz, last two seasons, goals in the round of 16 against Lille and Real Madrid last year, goal this year against British Dortmund in the round of 16, that, second leg I mean and obviously that goal in the Champions League final four Champions League knockouts I saw this stat and it blew my mind earlier only Lampard and Drogba scored more Champions League knockout goals for Chelsea than Kai Havertz and I saw that stat and I was my mind was blown Lampard with 15 Drogba with 13 Havertz is tied with Ivanovic on four and then he's ahead of the likes of Balak, Essien, Flo, Mount, Kalou, Pulisic, Torres on three and Elka Cahill, Johnson, Hazard, Cole, uh, Joe Cole is Shevchenko, Terry and Werner on two and then there's 24 players with one, and it, I, it just goes like, this is Kai Havertz, big player. And as I said, whatever happens, we do not know how Kai Havertz's Chelsea career plans out. We do not know if he will be here next season or not. We do not know what he will become at Chelsea. But whatever it is, he's just a player who just has given Chelsea fans just so many great moments. And at least, in a way, we have got that with him. At least, all the, there will be talks whenever he leaves Chelsea, if it does not work out, did Chelsea get the best of Kai Havertz, etc., but at least the beauty of football, and I think why we sport football, right? You go on a journey and you live for these moments you get. You live for for these memories that you make. And Kai Havertz, to his credit, has given Chelsea fans a lot, a lot of those memories. So at least he's got that. Yeah, the moment he scored that Champions League winning goal, you know, it wasn't that you know there was nothing left to achieve in his Chelsea career. But it's kind of weird that it it came at the beginning of his Chelsea career, you know, compared to say Drogba, where his his Champions League winning goal came at the end of his Chelsea career. So it's it was kind of always going to be a difficult thing to kind of not repeat, but kind of build on from. Because how do you build from a Champions League winning goal? It's very difficult. But as you said, you know, he does have goals that are going to be replayed for generations to come from Chelsea fans, you know, and that's something that I think a lot of players would would do a lot to get. So that that's why I say he's a very difficult player to analyse. And, you know, I just, I the thing I would say on just kind of my just general feeling is 
he has got that talent to impact big games. I just think that there is such big potential there. It'd be a shame for him not to do more on a more consistent basis. And how can that be resolved? Um, because there is a lot of games in the season where the game does pass him by. Um, and I still think there could be more to extract from Kai Havertz rather than just, you know, waiting for these moments. But these moments seem to be quite historic in Chelsea history. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You said earlier, it's all about balancing act that you've sort of got to, got to wrestle with. Um, look, Daniel, I don't want to really focus on the next. Obviously, there were questions about Mikhailo Mudrik being left on bench and Christian Pulisic coming on ahead of him, but Chelsea won the game 2-0. It didn't really matter. I guess Pulisic has got more experience playing in this stage of the competition. Mudrik is still very raw, very young. Pulisic probably also maybe has slightly bad defensive work rate as well. So while it was maybe a surprise to you to see it, we, you know, at the end of the day, it worked. No big deal, really, is it? No, it is. And I think, you know, again, it's just like people say stuff about players and, and coaches hating players. And it's just like, where, why are people say do people hear themselves when they say certain things? It's just like, it is a little bit, you know, strange that he hasn't been brought on in situations where I personally think he could be effective. You know, I felt on Saturday that was a great opportunity. But, you know, you look at the Mark Career situation. I don't think any Chelsea fan had Mark Career in their predicted 11 before Dortmund. And we were just saying earlier in terms of managing a player well, you know, the reports were that out of a lot of the players that Chelsea tried to sign in January and sign, Mudrik was one of those that Potter wanted. You know, it, I remember, I think Simon Johnson reported that, that, you know, he kind of personally was was very much an advocate of signing that player. And this is a player who who's here for the long term. You know, what would you want to have a situation where we rush him in and his confidence gets sh- get shattered and he doesn't adapt to life quickly? When some players, it is a slow burn. We've seen this at big clubs where sometimes it is maybe integrating them a little bit slowly. This is a guy who hadn't played football since November before he made that debut, a very impactful debut, but he, you know his debut against Liverpool in, in January. So I, you know, I, I think that it's just a balancing act, right? And I think at times we do have to sit back and say, we don't work in the game. We don't see these players on a daily basis. We don't know what they're going through personally. And the hope is he is being managed well. You know, there's still a lot of games this season and Mudrik will play a part in in them. But, you know, people bang on about results and that's what Potter got last night. So I don't know how people can be that kind of obsessed with that when we've just won such a big game. Yeah, and in that environment, result is literally the only thing that matters. Otherwise, you are gone. I mean, Daniel, I feel like we've pretty much said all there needs to be said on last night. It was truly... A historic night, I guess. Just well, before uh, let you go and give yourself a plug, I guess just final thoughts looking back again on, on, on that Dortmund night because it was it was it was a night that we needed. I think that was as I said, I don't think I felt when I've probably probably since that Madrid Champions League exit to be honest, I've, I've had a feeling of, of apathy, of, of, of sadness. I've not felt joy or, or real happiness or pure exhilaration like I did last night. And I guess ultimately we got that, right? Like that's that's something pretty pretty special to take away that that one night has has done that. And I can say certainly for me, started to maybe help me heal a little bit from the burn about that one will still sting. And if we get drawn against Real Madrid in the quarterfinals, I'm going to be reminded about, about that night. Yeah, again, but it was just one of those nights. Bring a lot of fans. It was just being able to be happy in a place that we call home but we've not really been able to be happy in for a very long time. And that is just a success in itself. 
yeah, it's been a crazy 12 months to be a Chelsea fan. It's been a, a year of, of turmoil, of stress, of uncertainty, of doubt, of questioning what the future of the club is going to look like. I think maybe if you're someone that's very nostalgic about those, you know, 05 to, to 2012 years, maybe a little bit longer than that, there was a lot about that Dortmund result that reminded me of old Chelsea. Um, and that, that's something special. But I think for for Todd Bowley and the consortium and Clear Lake and, and Graham Potter in this new idea of what Chelsea's going to be, um, I, I think it was hopefully a, a massive landmark night for them, their first kind of big night and big victory uh, on a big stage owning the club. And and I think for them, it was, it was probably a, a stress, you know, um, alleviated a little bit. And as well for Graham Potter as a coach. So, yeah, as a, as a fan, you know, I, I, we have a lot of conversations over like DMs on Twitter, right? And we, we speak about not only Chelsea, but other clubs. And it, maybe it sounds like arrogant and kind of um, childish, but, you know, I, I have watched a lot of clubs at different levels and, and their fans get moments of joy and just wonder, can we get a bit of that just one night? And and of course, to, to get that and to be lucky enough to, to be inside the ground and experience that is something that I'll remember. And I think that, there are deeper things to supporting a club than just always transfers and results and, and trophies. There are those nights that, you know, because th- this this could just be the round of 16 and then Chelsea get knocked out in the quarterfinal, right? But I think you've got to cherish nights like these. And, and I always just hope that they, because you want to buy into the story, the narrative, that this is a, a building block that can, can, can start to grow and fester an environment that can can build something successful again at Chelsea maybe in a different way maybe in a way that isn't instantaneous success like we've all come to to expect at Chelsea but something that can actually be longer lasting and and sustainable so those are big ideals and big kind of hopes for Chelsea but just on the isolation of one night I know that those goals that Raheem Sterling goal that that feeling you know because like the Hazard go against Spurs, right? 15-16. That didn't lead to a trophy, but I still speak about it as one of my favourite moments inside Stamford Bridge. And I can assure you that that goal when Sterling, it wasn't even the winning goal of the game, but that moment when Sterling's goal hit the back of the net, I'll remember forever. Yeah, no, exactly. And you you mentioned 15-16 there. What's actually quite nice about this, 15-16, our highlight was essentially stopping someone else's joy. Whereas this year, we've actually got our like our own real like joy in something that could lead to something something much bigger and much greater. There was a lot of talk going to that. Is it going to be like Napoli 2012 or is it going to be like PSG 2016? And we basically got kind of closer to, to Napoli 2012. Who knows the quarterfinals next? But we get Benfica and then we'll really be going down the, down the 2012 route. But no, it was, it was a beautiful night and just a night to be there if you were there to cherish it, to see friends who you've not seen for a while. Just a really special night. And as I said, it may just be just one night and that's it. But it served the purpose of bringing Chelsea fans joy and happiness they've not felt for so long. And football is about the memories you make, etc. So it is. it was really, really a beautiful night. And just bring on bring on the quarterfinals. As I said, Chelsea's European tour, maybe a, a, a temporary farewell European tour rolls on. We've got another date announced at Stamford Bridge and we find out on the draw next Friday which, which, what, what European date we're, we're playing out. You know, we've already sold out the Signal Aduna Park. We've already sold out Stamford Bridge once. We'll sell out Stamford Bridge again and we'll see where what, what is next for, for Chelsea. But uh, we'll leave the podcast there, Daniel. It's been a pleasure having you on to talk about, you know, one of the best nights at Stamford Bridge in the Champions League for, for a long, long time. Um, before you go, give yourself one last plug where people can find you and all your work. Son of Chelsea on YouTube, Son of Chelsea on your favourite podcast provider and then also Son of Chelsea on Twitter.
lovely, lovely stuff. As for us, we're on Twitter at ChelseaPod, on Instagram at ChelseaPod. Whenever I do put out any likes, retweets, goes a long way. Spreading on to other people's timeline. We're on all your usual podcast platform providers, Apple, Spotify, etc. And if you're not subscribed or follow or whatever, just search that Chelsea podcast and you will find us fair and said If you've enjoyed, please leave us a rating and review. If you would like to see what I look like in real life, you can check out Jay Tomlin's vlog. He did a little vlog of the game against Borussia Dortmund, which I'll leave a link in the description. You will not get much from me other than a, a come on and yes, as a general reaction to, to watching that game him yesterday. But if you want to check that as well, leave the link in the description. But it was a brilliant night, guys. And uh, we will see you over the weekend to look back at Leicester as Chelsea's Champions League run continues. Until the next episode, keep the blue flag flying up. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.